Welcome to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I am your host, Emily. I'm a Kentucky native, now Boston-based artist, researcher, spirituality, and creativity teacher. And I find absolute delight in the sometimes subtle, sometimes epic ways we as people discover our voices and begin consciously creating lives full of meaning and expression. Sacred Adventure Begin features stories from business owners to artists, lawyers to singers, yogis to professors, and many (laughs) in-betweens to inspire you in connecting the threads, themes, and experiences of your own life. I know that it can sometimes feel unknowable, insurmountable, and perhaps some of us feel a bit vulnerable in our quests for the deeper truths and meanings in our lives. Power and awareness lie on the other side of these pursuits, and it is my hope that these stories and conversations become engaging tools to bridge those gaps that we all have between intellect and heart, between mundane and divine, between fantastical and practical. I'm so excited to have you here sharing this space and being part of these conversations. Let's begin. Hey everyone, welcome back. I am really excited to be here sharing this special guest interview and this mini series with you today. If you've been keeping up with the podcast or if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm Emily (laughs) and I am going to be interviewing an epic practitioner, uh, such an amazing healing person today. I cannot wait to share their voice with you. Uh, But before we get there, I want to mention a couple of things and just give you a little bit of an update. So last episode, I talked in the beginning a little bit about um, identity and also about how we as people um, have sort of like a negotiation that happens when we start to think about ourselves in terms of relationships. And that has been the sort of pivot or the sort of mini series, the thing that I've been structuring the past couple of interviews around. So the interview that you are about to hear now is an interview that has been done in partnership with uh, the interview with Sitlali Mendoza, which I released last week. So make sure you go back and (laughs) listen to that interview. Lali's voice is amazing. Um, I am interviewing today Lolly's partner, Samara, and I cannot wait to, to let Samara tell you all about their work. Um, I do want to also mention that I'm going to be releasing two episodes this week. So on Tuesday, I'll be releasing this interview with Samara. And then on Thursday, we're all going to get a treat because I have Lolly and Samara on the podcast together talking about what it's been like to blend um, visions together and to create something in partnership in terms of like a spiritual business and a business that is uh, healing and important for the community and, and sort of how to collaborate on that and how to just come together in a really conscious and beautiful way. I cannot wait to get that out to you. The other part of this partnership series, which you've heard me talk about, um, and I'll be releasing the week after that, is an interview with two sisters who run a spiritual business together as well. So there's so many different perspectives on relationships (laughs) and on how we become who we are and how we navigate our own spiritual paths. 
So Samara is a black non-binary business healer for purpose-driven entrepreneurs. Beyond just a coach, they combine coaching with breath work and meditation to help clients heal their business from the inside out. By working with Samara, you'll leave behind the templates, random strategies, and smart goals, <laughs> instead embracing a right-brained approach to building a business that lights up your life, which is really, really important work, especially for all of us who are in <laughs> or who are perhaps considering stepping into um, having a holistic or having a spiritual business that we really think about how the business serves us as well as how we serve through the business. So without further ado, here is Samara. Welcome Samara Kasai to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I am super stoked to have you here today. Yes, Emily, I am so grateful to have to have you to be on. <laughs> I can stay in. I really, I'm, I'm fumbling <laughs> over my words. Um, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Life's good. Life's good. Well, can you start by telling listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do in the world? Ooh, okay. Let's try to do the short version of this. <laughs> well, I'm Samara. I am a Black non-binary healer living in San Diego right now, getting used to the West Coast after living on the East Coast for my whole life. Um, and I, right now, am what I like to call a business healer. So I work with entrepreneurs who are looking to invite more ease, more receptivity, and kind of shift into that right brain, creative, intuitive space and run their business from there rather than being so focused on kind of like learning everybody's strategies and trying to like get it right and get it perfect all the time. That's huge, huge, huge work to be stepping into. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to totally pick your brain about that. Uh, but before we get into that, like, how did you come to be doing this type of work? Well, I had a business being a tarot reader and a breathwork facilitator. And over the process of building that business and growing it out and kind of like, you know, selling a couple of programs and like group programs and then also serving like a bunch of one-on-one -on -one clients, I started to realize that I was so in my head about making sure that I was doing it right, making sure that I had the right template from the most like accomplished person in order to build my web pages and making sure that, you know, if I saw someone on Instagram who was completely booked out, that I would go stalk them and try to figure out what they were doing. And it just, I really lost myself in the process and I am a person who genuinely like cannot be employed by another person. Like I've, I've learned that the hard way by trying to be employed and just like hating every single job I've ever had. And it started to feel like employment again. It felt like I was, I didn't have any creative freedom. I was basically restricted by a small set of possibilities based on what I saw other people doing or what other people said was the right thing to do. And I had lost the true essence of why I wanted to have my own business in the first place, which was for that sense of creative freedom, getting to help people heal based on my ideas and my understanding of how healing works and not kind of like surrendering all of that over to what I see another person doing. That's huge. I, I almost wonder if that's like, um, something that a lot of people are sort of in right now, um, is that like, 
looking at, like, I love that you said I'm unemployable. (laughs) 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 I actually kind of personally feel that way too. Like literally every job has driven me insane for, for different, uh, for various reasons. Uh, but then I love that you mentioned that you, that you recreated that system, um, in your own business. So how did you sort of step out of that? Ooh, okay. So it was a really gradual unfolding. I would love to be able to say that like I had a couple of stressful months and then it like magically all came back together and I was happy and free. Um, but it really <laughs> was just like <laughs> by inch by inch, you know. So yeah. I started off just looking at my time and figuring that the reason that I thought that I had to be working from like nine to five Monday to Friday was because I had been in so many jobs where I had to be working nine to five Monday to Friday. And I just started to tweak that a little bit and be like, okay, well, you know, I really like to cuddle with my partner basically all morning. So let's start my work day at one. And then I really like to do these certain meditations at certain times of day. So let's just like block off those chunks of time there. And then it started to be that I like to have long weekends. So I only see clients from Tuesday to Thursday and just like, letting myself create the schedule that worked for me and trusting that the clients who I was meant to serve would also fit into that schedule. And that's really when I started to think about the concept of a soulmate client, which is something that I am like so into talking about and I'm really going to be going really into detail with my one-on-one clients about this. But basically the way that I think about a soulmate client is just feeling into that sense of like what a soulmate is from the perspective of people that you have agreed to go through life with before your soul entered your body. So feeling into that sense that there are people who are meant to be in my life, who are meant to grow through some kind of work that I'm going to do with them, but also who are meant to grow me and to stretch me and to challenge me into learning the lessons that I I'm meant to learn here on earth as well. And those people I really started to feel were challenging me and growing me into the kind of person who had agency and ownership over their time and who were helping me to unlearn all of these corporate structures about what it means to be productive and what the proper work day or work week is. And in allowing myself to let go of that, I was able to really call in the kind of clients who also felt like, it was totally okay to meet with me at, you know, whatever time I wanted to meet with them. And they were validating that lesson back to me. And so that was kind of my first hint of like, okay, no, like my clients and I are already agreeing that my business is going to work out for me. And it's just been a magical ride from there. I am kind of sitting here in awe because <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, um, when we had the interaction about scheduling the podcast and um, you were talking about like, oh, I only see clients on this day or this day. And it was just such a like revelation to me because when I started my business, um, I had made my schedule based on what I thought other people would be most likely to be available during. And so Mm. I had myself um, available a lot on the weekend. And then I felt like angry about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. like, like somebody would book with me on the weekend and I would be like, damn it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wasn't happy that somebody booked with me. I was pissed that I had to give up my Saturday or like arrange things around it. And um, when you said that, it was like a, like a breakthrough moment for me. And so I just like immediately went on to my scheduling app and changed my hour. 
Yes. I love that. <laughs> and like, it's, um, it's such a, I feel like you, I don't want to say that you almost need to hear somebody tell you that, but it's so counterintuitive based on the way that we're sort of trained by the like, quote unquote, capitalist system, uh, or the like work week kind of system to like, believe that we're going in that direction. So, or that doing that will make us successful. And I haven't noticed any difference between the number of bookings I'm getting. I'm still getting the same number of bookings. So it's not like having the extra availability was um, helping me at all. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally know what you're saying. And I feel like that almost another thing that I'm hearing as you're talking is just this sense of like, almost projecting onto your clients, like what you expect from them in a Mm. way that like makes a ton of sense. But because like, for me personally, I was like, okay, well, I am used to nine to five, but I also was a grad student and was used to having zero availability for (laughs) anything. And so when I realized that I was like, okay, well, I know that there are some people in the world who are not going to be available during these hours, but there are other people who are never going to be available. And I can't try to schedule around them. I have to at some point realize that there is a small segment of the population who are my people and those people and me are available at the same time just because of like universal law, right? Like, yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. And that's such a beautiful way to look at that. Like I, so how did you come up with the, the, the soulmates? <laughs> I'm not going to call them soul. Well, what did you call it? Your soul? Oh, the soulmate clients. Soulmate clients. Yes. Okay. So mm-hmm. I was heading in the right direction. Like, did that just like occur to you? <laughs> How did you kind of get to that? Cause I, I love that as a way to think about uh, like client coach relationship. Well, honestly, when I hired my first coach, we were on the call. We had like a discovery call before mm-hmm. I hired her and on the discovery call, she said to me, she was like, I think you're my soulmate client. Like you you know, just the things that you wrote on your application and the way that you talk about your business and the dreams that you have and the goals. And I see so much of like my own story and I can see how I can like very clearly help you. And I really think that you're a soulmate client. And that was the first time I ever heard that. And I don't really think she ever said it so much again. Like we'll Mm -hmm. say it in passing, like, oh, you're my soulmate client, you're my soulmate client. But I think the thing that started to happen within me was I really took it to heart to mean that I have like my soul actually has contracts out there with the people that I'm meant to serve. Yeah. No, I totally think that. I totally, totally think that. Um, And and believe that as well. For the listeners who have maybe never heard of what a soul contract is, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And and feel free to like jump in because I love hearing everyone's perspective on this. But (laughs) the way that I have gotten myself around this idea is going back and thinking about your parents, right? And a lot of people can tend to have troubling relationships with their parents. And the way that I have accepted and embraced the existence, I guess, of my parents as my parents (laughs) um, is remembering that at some point before my soul came into my body and before even my parents' souls went into their bodies, we all agreed that there were certain lessons that we each had to learn in life. And we all laid out a plan for how we were going to help each other stretch and grow and learn into those lessons that we were supposed to master. And so when I think about my interactions with my parents, 
a lot of them are very strained and I think they're still very strained and we're definitely still doing that soul work together, you know, over time and probably will be for the rest of our lives. And I think we just have this lifelong commitment to helping each other grow into and heal through the, th the things that we all agreed upon way before we came into our bodies. And so to map that onto like a client perspective, I don't always necessarily think that clients and I will have like a lifelong thing, like the way that my parents <laughs> do. Sometimes it's, you know, you're going to sit with me for an hour and something that I say or something that you say will both cause us to grow in a certain way. But I do believe that maybe that contract will be like a couple of sentences. But before we came into the body, we agreed, I really need to learn how to structure my time you really need to help me see that I can structure my time however I want to and that people will still come. Okay, we are both good with this. Cool. You know? Yeah. No, I I'm, I have a very like similar philosophy and I love uh, part of what I think is so amazing about that is that it invites you to uh, look at difficult things and find something to be thankful for in them. You know, mm -hmm. like, the, yes, it sucks that I'm having this like relationship with my mother, my father, my sister, you know, or, you know, whoever it is, my boss, mm -hmm. but like, I can see that we're teaching each other patience or what the real meaning of love is or lessons about acceptance or, you know, all of that. And then it shifts you into such a state of gratitude that you could even say, like, I feel thankful that they've taught me this lesson. I'm no longer going to like keep going back to relearn the lesson <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and I can either like move on or shift my philosophy to make uh, that either that relationship better or that relationship, like not sort of be so uh, hurtful to me. Yeah. And I think for me, it really helps with boundaries. Like you were saying, like you recognize there's a lesson to be learned. You recognize you don't have to keep going back into mm -hmm. the kind of classroom, if you will. Like there's a time at which you're like, okay, I see what the lesson is. And then as you were saying, just like shifting the relationship accordingly. And for me that has with my parents, especially has been just like setting parameters around my interactions with them in a way that allows me to truly feel safe and trusting that when they kind of give me negative feedback about that or when they come up against the boundary that is another way in which they're helping me to stand firm in having ownership over my energy and having ownership over who I allow into my space and to what degree you know yes yes I feel that so much um so when, when we have soul contracts with clients, it's a little bit different, right? Like you usually like the, the flow of information is, um, a little bit different, like, but I like that the soul contract also recognizes that you are learning things from them as you're teaching them things. And I think that that is also like really beautiful and, um, affirming of the value of everyone in the relationship as well. Yeah, I really hated when I first started being a tarot reader and it felt like there was such a hierarchy mm. between, and it was kind of, part of it was like, those were not my, those were soulmate clients in the way that you will have a soulmate who is there to push you and challenge you, but they weren't necessarily like the ICA on paper. They were really just people who I think needed to come into my business and show me that I didn't like feeling like I had all the answers to the universe and like the whole person, the person's like whole interaction with me was going to be like, 
tell me my entire future and tell me if I'm going to get married and tell me this and that. And I didn't want to be that kind of tarot reader who felt like I had so much power over this person. And then that really kind of snowballed into a lot of my teachings when I created my tarot course and my tarot workshops. And that helped me find my soulmate clients along the way because I was able to put out kind of those, I almost think of them as like pheromones. Like I'm just putting out my, my, um, my little sense and my little sounds so that people can find (laughs) me. And I didn't know that that was like a pheromone for me to be putting out until I realized how frustrating it was for me. Yeah. I think that, and, and without like going too far into like ethics and ethics and spiritual work. I think that when we do do things that are quote unquote divination, uh, or when we're like channeling for someone or anytime that we're like taking on a voice that is more than like our own, you know, or like channeling Mm -hmm. someone's higher wisdom or whatever, or helping them discover theirs that we really have to Mm -hmm. think about power structures in that. Um, because it can easily like go into things that are really, really unethical. (laughs) And so like, I love, I know that this sounds weird, but like, I love that you recognized that and you realized how uncomfortable it is. Cause I am also uncomfortable when somebody wants to give me their power, like, just tell me what to do. And I'm like, "Uh, no, (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I literally had an email that I sent out to like, kind of like you know how when you book um with acuity you can send them out like some confirmation emails and whatnot Mm -hmm. I had one of the emails tell them like these are disempowering questions these are the kinds of questions that will work well the people who get the most out of this are the people who are (laughs) in this energy and that and I just like outlined like (laughs) before you come (laughs) please be aware that this is the kind of interaction that's happening I know I know. And actually it's like, I feel like also more authentic to how the information comes through because like, like you were saying, like somebody coming in wanting to know when they're, when they're going to get married, like Mm -hmm. never, ever have I ever experienced, uh, like the cards or, um, you know, like a guide or somebody coming in and being like, you are going to arrive at this location at this (laughs) hour. And then your soulmate will come in from the East and you will see them. (laughs) And they will be wearing a red sweater. Like it's not fucking like that. Like, like messages will come through. Like you're going to meet this person through someone that you're going to, um, you know, start a business with, or that you're going to be like engaged in a learning environment. And that's going to open up energy and new doors for this person to come into life, your life, but it's never specific, like, like that. And so I also think, um, it's really interesting too, like just what people want to know <laughs> when they yeah. come in. Yeah. So, um, I heard you talk a little bit about grad school. Can you maybe give us kind of a rundown um, on your history? And I also know that you said you were also on the East Coast for some time. So like, what did that look like for you? Sure, sure. So I was born in New York and I lived in New York up until college. And then I went to Harvard for undergrad and there I studied the history and philosophy of science. So very... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no one knows what that means. My parents were very deeply confused <laughs> about what I was doing, um, as was I, to be honest. But honestly, right. I think that is the place. Uh, Harvard was so taxing and so challenging. I met my, my partner there, and I'm really, really grateful that I went for that reason, to be honest. And 
also just because well honestly okay harvard is a weird thing and i will say one small note about soulmates and harvard because <laughs> that's a situation where it's there's like a five percent chance of getting into that school yeah. and my partner and i both are not like we don't have family members who went there before we don't really i mean his family it wasn't going to school in this country at all my family was going to school in this country but really was not like of a high you know high mm-hmm. esteem at all and so the fact that we both kind of like got into this soul contract where we were like we are going to both do this insanely like unlikely thing and that is how we're going to come together is just like so magical to me and I also had a similar situation where I had an estranged cousin who like I knew existed but had never like had the the family had actively separated from my cousin and my cousin ended up also getting into Harvard and I met him that way and it was just Stop. so weird like yeah Stop. Yeah. what a <laughs> what a nexus of like <laughs> meaningful interactions for you I know it was really crazy so again that place was very draining and very grueling and when you think about like systems and structures and like hierarchy and all, oh like, yeah that the place and so I hated it for that reason loved it for a lot of other reasons in studying the history and philosophy of science though that was when I really got into thinking like why do we believe what we believe what counts as true and why we really mm. looked into putting the scientific establishment on a pedestal in a way that can become really unhealthy. I did a yep. lot of work in like leaning into how the science quote unquote, like science of racism unfolded and, and the ways in which like one of the interesting things that I learned about that is just that the person who was like at the forefront of, you know, proving quote unquote, that the races were like, a existed that races existed and that races were this kind of like natural hierarchy of things was the same person who discovered that yellow fever was transmitted by mosquitoes and so he already had all of this scientific clout and basically everything that he said was going to become true and so he wrote all of these books and created like alongside a bunch of other people this huge phenomenon that we are still living with all because he had so much scientific respect from a different thing that he did. And so that was like my life questioning why we believe certain people. And I think that got me down a little bit of the rabbit hole of social constructionism, which I talk about a lot in my work, but also just the, even the spiritual side of like, well, does, you know, logic and reason, is that the only way to perceive the world? You know, why do we put all of that on a pedestal and we, you know, I want to say dismiss, but like more than dismiss, like we ridicule um, any way of knowing that is not in line with that. So I think having that major, even though it deeply confused my parents, was an (laughs) incredibly important part of my (laughs) unfolding too. Um, And so then I did that. I studied abroad in Brazil, which is another kind of like, I was there really digging into the scientific racism part, but it also was a huge part of my spiritual awakening as well, just because the part of Brazil that I was in was the, um, was the first stop on the transatlantic slave trade. And so my reason for going there was because I had never had a sense of connection to another country, knowing that my ancestors had been there. I mean, I know my ancestors were in West Africa, but there was like so much had happened geopolitically and like 
over time, I was like, okay, it is very hard for me to have a sense of connection to this place. The thing about this particular city in Brazil was that I knew with 100% certainty my ancestors had been there and I wanted to go. So I had one semester of Portuguese and then I decided to go live in Brazil for seven months. Holy um, <laughs> Sounds like something I would do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they let me. It was really, really <laughs> Um, but I did. And while I was there, I started to really deeply unlearn my attachment to Christianity. And I had grown up going to church every single week and had felt God's presence in a really powerful way in the church. Like I felt like I had a personal relationship with God, but of course there was all of the homophobia. And Mm -hmm. I was also just deeply, like I had a lot of mental health issues at that time. And there was no kind of receptivity to mental health issues. It was just like a highly toxic environment, but it was an environment where I got to connect to God. And so I was like kind of playing this catch 22 with myself where I would have myself go to church for the sake of God, but then also just like consent to all of this awful stuff. <laughs> and when yeah. I was in Brazil, I um, really had this moment of, of, meeting people who were actively questioning the relationship between black people and Christianity and really like adamant and open about talking about how it was all because of slavery that black people were (laughs) were Christian in the first place and as I had those conversations more and more over the course of these seven months I think it just broke and I had no sense of attachment to Christianity I didn't see it as necessary in my life at all and that really allowed me to open up into the you know, spiritual relationships that I have now. Oh my God. There's so much there. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much there. Like literally I hate, and I think that, um, some people in the like non-Christian spiritual community that, that we are kind of both part of do this to other people too. Uh, but this happens a lot in Christianity where it's like, well, all you need is Jesus's love. So mm-hmm. if you're sad or if you're this, or if you're that, it's because you need his love and you don't have it. And it's just like, mm-hmm. this isn't, no, there's like biology here at work. Mm-hmm. There's like so much going on that isn't that. And then it's used as a way to keep people like quiet or silent about like what they're actually going through or to shame them um, into not talking about it. And so that's so, um, profound as well um that you are also noticing like you know maybe this isn't actually part of my heritage but maybe maybe this uh, like attachment to christianity also was like through colonialism and like suppression that that happened too i am um, yeah it, it, then it makes it so powerful and so important to step into like than what it is that we do believe. So, so you went to Portugal, you did your master's in Portugal? Oh, no, sorry. I went to Brazil. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, oh my God. I'm sorry. You said per- Portuguese and then I got it in my head oh, that it was Portugal. Oh, yes. My bad. So you did your That's master's fair. in Brazil? No. So this okay. is still, um, <laughs> I did my master's. I went back to Boston. I did my master's at MIT and I was studying city planning, which I don't even, that's like a whole nother story of how I started to be studying city planning, but to bring it through, I got there because after doing this whole history and philosophy of science thing, I started to really think about the ways in which we create the world that we live in via our beliefs. And I wanted to think about how to create 
a different world because I knew that I had different beliefs. And so city planning is where you go and you think about like the physical form of, of the world and the way that resources are distributed and, you know, even like where you put trees and where you put sidewalks. And I was like, I wonder what it would look like if the, the beliefs that went into those decisions were beliefs from a place of love and from a place of, you know, removing hierarchies between people and from an anti-racist lens and all of this. And so I went to MIT and studied city planning. I did not finish which was really just my, I had so much apathy. Oh my God, Emily, I, as I like dug more into my spiritual practices and I realized that I was so obsessed with going to brand name universities because I wanted to be able to impress other people. And I just had all of these like revelations about how I had no desire to actually be a prestigious academic I just felt like that was a path (laughs) that I was like quote unquote like capable of and I should be grateful and blah 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 and I just got rid of all of it and I quit (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I also had the academic awakening (laughs) that you were describing Uh, yes (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so interesting when you realize like I've done all of this uh, so that I can um, be credible mm-hmm. uh, or be believed. It's it's almost like um, I'm going to take this uh, position of um, like a faith or rightness or whatever that's bestowed upon me by having this degree from this special place, and uh, mm-hmm. and like it's it's really really interesting. And other people buy into that system too you know? Um, but I don't know that there's necessarily a way out of it except saying, you know, I'm going to like, I'm going to claim for myself what it is that I have. And it it sounds like you've done that. Like I have the ability to help people like untangle themselves from, uh, like oppressive systems in their businesses. And Mm -hmm. it's so Mm -hmm. cool that you can do that. Like, okay. I have to ask this too, like when you were learning about spirituality, how did you go about doing that? Cause I think that's another thing that people just struggle with. Like, where do I go to learn about this stuff? You know? Mm, yeah. So that, I mean, of course we're still doing it right all the time. Always. <laughs> it's an ongoing experience. <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I did take like a breathwork and meditation facilitator training and that was big for me because we had to develop our own personal personal practice. Also, just a side note, if you are taking any kind of training and they don't ask you to develop a personal practice, I feel like you need to run the other way. Yes. Um, Yep. But we had to develop our own personal practice and she was super adamant about allowing us to explore more of the, well, definitely all of the Sanskrit and all of the, the Hindu kind of roots of all the practices also feeling into like what it could do for us and how it could open our channels and awaken the divine within each of us. And so doing those practices every day, and now I've continued to do them every day, that has been more of like a schooling for me in just learning about how I sense divinity around me, how I like knowing what voice is coming through when I'm hearing a voice is that, you know, my fear or my ego talking or is that like the divine within me talking and just like getting that sense of discernment and and it really it feels like I've just been kind of having some kind of tool and then applying that tool over and over and over and over until I feel like I've learned something new 
Yeah. Which is almost, um, a better way to do it because then you have like actual real life examples of how it unfolds to share with people. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, that's so cool. So then you're, you're at MIT, you're like, oh shit, I'm doing this for the wrong reasons. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have this other (laughs) like amazing thing that's starting to unfold in my life. And then you move to California. Uh, I wish <laughs> it was a couple more intermediate steps. Um, but I had my business at that time. Like I started my business while I was in MIT, I think, cause I just needed some kind of like escape, honestly. Yeah. And so I was running workshops, um, and I had like a really small, like I wasn't, it, obviously I wasn't able to devote anywhere near the amount of time to it. So I was just kind of teaching workshops to anyone who would show up and like not really being intentional about it, but it was, it was at least gave me a taste of what was possible. And then I decided to wean myself off of MIT and (laughs) just (laughs) gradually let go of different classes. Like I would just drop like a class at a time you know, quit this research position. Okay, now I'm quitting this one. And then it was down to nothing. And then I actually moved to Philadelphia, which was just a really random thing. But I had always been interested in living in Philadelphia ever since I visited one of my friends there. And I was like, I just had a vibe. I was like, I'm going to live in this place. Like that's, I just decided. And so I went there. I only spent three months there, but those three months changed my business and my life forever because it was the first time I was full-time in my business and that first month being full time was like a $9,000 month and I was like okay well I guess this means that I'm now full time in my business (laughs) Um, (laughs) and I just I don't know I think something about the energy of saying like I'm doing this because I want to I'm living here because I want to I don't really give half a fuck about what whether or not people understand because people were also like why are you moving to Philadelphia that's so random and I was like I don't really have a good explanation I'm not going to make something up like we're just doing this now um and so yeah from that point on my business was forever changed and I just I love that place for that reason and then after three months of living there my boyfriend and I decided to move in together and his family lives here in San Diego or yeah his family lives between San Diego and Mexico so it was just easier um for everyone to be here and I love it here and so now I'm here oh I love that too that you just had the you you just felt like you were called to live in Philly and you were like I'm just gonna do it because I also think there's a gap between receiving a message and uh, acting on the message that a lot of people let the like worry part of the brain enter into and it's like you have this like brilliant idea or it might even just seem like a whisper like I feel like I want to go to Philadelphia and Mm -hmm. and you like acted on that which is huge because a move is a big I wouldn't say risk but it's like a big thing um to happen in your life like and to to do on on a um not even gonna call it a hunch I'm gonna call it an intuitive Mm -hmm. wisdom Yeah, which is, which is huge. So when you started your business, you were mostly doing like one-on-one tarot readings or breath work or what did it look like? I didn't have breath work yet because I wasn't certified yet to do that. So I just had a tarot. I had like a pre-recorded tarot reading you could get for like 10 bucks. 
I had a Zoom tarot session and then I had my workshops, which were like new and full moon shadow work workshops, like journaling and doing guided meditations and whatnot. Cool. Do you still do those? Which, which? <laughs> Either? <laughs> um, no, I actually, well, I just let go of all my tarot. I have my last tarot readings this week and then no more. Um, wow. And the workshops, I want to refinagle them. I'm kind of folding that into my one-on-one right now, just like bringing people through a process. Cause I now feel like shadow work is something that I know without a doubt I'm meant to be helping people with and to be like destigmatizing and also just like allowing it to be safer and, and more compassion and all those things. And so I'm folding that into my one-on-one. I see a future where eventually that comes back outside of one-on-one and goes mm-hmm. into a group setting again. But I'm feeling really called to just go really deeply with people over the course of like a couple of months into how their shadow is playing itself out in their business. Yeah, that one's huge. When, um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I I feel like maybe this is overstepping, but I I like, I have written a lot about shadow and like trying to get people to understand that it's not like, like a bad thing or something to be Mm -hmm. fearful of, but how do you sort of start getting people to um, recognize that like shadow work is actually like the, in my opinion, the ultimate form of self-love because it kind of Mm -hmm. helps us see like the parts of us that we reject through the mirror of the world and then recognize that, that it's, it's in us. Like those are the things that like we're rejecting about us too. And like starting to heal that, like, how do you work with people around that? I love that. I don't think that's overstepping at all. I think that's so important that people are having these conversations. I think for me, the first thing that's coming through really loud and clear right now is just remembering that there is a distinction between what is you and what you identify with. Mm. And for me, I have gone through this really beautiful change as I've started to love on the part of myself who chose to identify with a particular idea or belief or behavior or pattern rather than feeling like, okay, so for example, um, this is like someone I know um, and I don't wanna like say how they relate to me just in case but someone I know had a DUI when they were a teenager. And they are basically now at the point where they're like, okay, I am not integrating the idea that I am now a person who, you know, drinks irresponsibly and, and puts themselves in unsafe situations and whatnot. I'm integrating that the person who made those choices is worthy of love. Mm. And I can show love to the me who decided to make those choices and take those actions without having to then feel like, because I think the issue with shadow work is that sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to be a person who gets DUIs as a teenager. Like, I don't want that. That's not something that I'm interested in, in identifying with further. And you don't have to identify with it forever. What the point of it is, is saying like, I am a person who has agency and who makes choices. And no matter the, the outcome of those choices, I'm going to be worthy of love. 
A hundred percent. And it takes, when, when you stop shaming parts of yourself, it creates like freedom and movement in that area that you, that, that was an area that needed growth in your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, oh, I just love, I just love how you talked about that too. Um, because it also like feels like going from a closed heart to like an open heart. (laughs) Yeah. And I think shadow work is like one of the biggest heart openers we have. I don't, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, but I've been really, really feeling into this idea that as you make space to love those parts of yourself, it's still you like reciprocating love with the universe. It's all uh, okay. Here we go. My mind just like made a bunch of connections. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the way that I think about this, I definitely have felt, and I don't know if you, um, what your shadow work practice looks like, but sometimes as I'm doing shadow work, I'll literally get like tingly heart opening sensations in my upper back and in my chest. And I know that like, that is my heart releasing energy and my heart opening itself. And I think one of the mantras or affirmations that I work with a lot, especially as I was in deep in this unfolding was, I'm willing to receive love in all forms. I'm willing to receive love in all forms. And knowing that that means I'm willing to receive love, you know, in the midst of untangling something that I'm really ashamed of and and willing to replace that shame with love. And also I'm willing to receive the love from my partner and I'm willing to receive love from my clients and I'm willing to receive love however love wants to come to me and if love really feels the need to come to me via a situation that I previously associated with shame then I'm willing to receive that oh I love that too I a lot of the shadow work I feel like I feel like I've I've I'm continuing to understand the depths of myself and in to um, accept myself and love myself in greater and greater and greater ways as I've been um, stepping into my intuitive practice. But um, most of the time when I'm doing shadow work, it's super easy for me to do because so much shit pisses me off. And, <laughs> and for, the, for the listeners who maybe have never done like quote unquote shadow work before, um, or work with things that we reject. And I'll just kind of like give an example. Um, Maybe I, so I get really angry when people won't wear their masks. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I know COVID has been really triggering for me of my shadow because I, I, it usually when you're angry about something, it means that you've made something wrong. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in, in while it is dangerous to be around somebody who doesn't have on their mask, because you could come into contact with particulates from them that could then infect you with COVID also, like I have made it to mean that they don't care about other people or the health and safety of others. And so it makes me angry on that level too. And then yeah. I have to look at this, the part of me that feels like judged and wrong over Uh, how I show up and treat others and over um, whether or not I'm allowed to like uh, do what I need um, when somebody else's needs are in conflict with my own. And I also need to, and I'm called to, (laughs) you see, it's like a, it's like a cascade, right? Mm -hmm. And it can be really easy to sort of say like to, um, 
if I am continually judging people for how they show up in public, that I'm probably also really judging how I show up in public. And when I start to like Mm -hmm. soften around that, I open up areas of my life where I start going, okay, well, I actually haven't been totally truthful with myself or totally truthful with how I show up in public because of this fear that I have about being wrong because I've made it wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like unpacking that becomes this like, I want to call it this like beautiful ride. And I, as I'm doing this kind of shadow work, I'm challenging myself to say to myself like, okay, well, how did this show up in my life? How is it limiting me? And then I go into that limit, clear it and push beyond it and ask myself to take those like difficult actions. I, and, and one of those for me was uh, starting a, a spiritual business. Yeah. Um, because I, I have, um, internalized a lot of judgment around, as we've kind of discussed, uh, people who misuse spirituality to control or take control from others. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also part of my shadow, but it's also something that I feel like could, could easily go into activism for me. And so like recognizing Mm -hmm. that that's something I feel really passionate about and I feel that it's wrong, uh, clearing the ways that I've made myself wrong or made it unsafe for me to like be that thing. And then mm-hmm. looking at how mm-hmm. to create like a more equitable universe. That's how I do shadow work, I guess is the long, the long way of saying that. Um, I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I also, I kind of like, as, as we're sort of coming toward the end of time together and <laughs> toward the end of time, <laughs> <laughs> the end of days. Is a fun. Oh, bless. <laughs> I, I also want to like kind of ask you a question or sort of frame it like this. I feel like also a lot of people have the idea, and I know that you use the term right brain um, mm-hmm. when you're working with clients uh, or t- talking about like, you know, what you do for, for business owners or for people who are looking to like create growth in their life. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I also hear you saying that you went to school for science (laughs) Mm. and it's, I always love it when I come across another spiritual practitioner that also falls really heavily on the side of I am left-brained and I am right-brained. Yeah. But can you maybe like talk about that balance and talk about how you work with clients in creating that balance or in integrating more of that right brain? Yes. Oh my God. I feel like the only reason that I recognize the importance of a right brain approach is because my whole life has been a left brain approach and (laughs) it has not, that has produced certain kind of results. I don't want those results replicated. And so I'm (laughs) trying something else, which is again, a very left brain way to think about it. You know, I'm like, okay, well, we're going to change this variable. We're going to change that variable. And then we're going to study the outcome. And then we're going to change this and change that and study the outcome. And so there is always some kind of method to everything. And I think one of the things that stresses me out, to be honest about um, the spiritual business coaching world is that you can find people who will tell you that like, there is no place for method or for, um, yeah, yeah, methodology, that methodology doesn't matter. And so I kind of lean into this place of like, we're doing an experiment. The experiment is, you know, relatively frazzled and unstructured. And the way that I think about it too, is just like, I look at, you know, I've, I've launched four group programs at this point. I look at those groups 
and I say, okay, well, when did I feel the best and what did I do? That is a left-brained approach, but the questions I'm asking, when did I feel the best, that is a right-brained question. And so that's kind of a very easy example of how I integrate left and right into the work that I do. Yes. I, again, with the shadow, revealing my shadow here, I also <laughs> get annoyed by people who are like, stop thinking. Oh my God, yes. It's and like, I, uh, uh. <laughs> we are people we do have a left side of the brain for a reason like if there was no purpose for it I don't think that the universe is so redundant and inefficient that it would just give everybody a left side of their brain for no reason and it's not the enemy when you enter into spiritual practice I Mm -hmm. I thought it was beautiful that you said that essentially I'm going to paraphrase it probably wrong again if I'm like overstepping or if (laughs) if you want me to correct and say it differently that's awesome Um, yeah, I feel like the left brain will often provide us the container in which the like spiritual information or the feelings or the experience of life can flow into. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And even like, this is something that was like, came up yesterday, actually. So maybe it was meant to be shared in this conversation, but (laughs) in my meditation I I had done so much channeling yesterday because I was channeling out new content um just like to start sharing more about my business philosophy and like how I help people and all and I have like pages upon pages of just channeled messages and different like content and then my message that came through in meditation at the end of the day was okay now it is time for your brain and your ego and and that left side of you that everyone tells you is terrible that part of you needs to step up, organize this and put it on a calendar. Your right brain is not the one to do that. Your right brain will actually just like keep channeling and channeling and channeling. And even yesterday when I posted and decided to share that I had three spots open, that was my left brain saying, okay, cool. We have all this stuff, but it, it is not really doing us any good in the journal, you know? Uh Uh-huh. So that's another thing that came through, as you said, container, because I literally saw a calendar and I see that calendar as being like, okay, this is the container through which I have to organize and, and structure and go from like within to without. Oh, it's so important and it's so perfect and it's so beautiful how they all work together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like interesting because I think, like you said, in academia, we often vilify the like right side processes or yeah. we like see emotion as tainting our judgment or our knowledge or whatever. And actually a lot of knowledge can come from emotion mm-hmm. and And a lot of like emotion needs a place to flow into, or it needs the understanding of logic or not to be suppressed by the logic, but to be like heard by it and to have a format to express itself in. And I, I just think that that like the work that you're doing is so important as well um, in helping people to start to integrate that. Oh, thank you, Emily. That means a lot coming from you. I admire your work so much and I even, my, my coach actually follows you on Instagram because I love you so much and I talk about you a lot. Oh, hey. (laughs) Well, the feeling is mutual. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had um, any advice to give people who are 
maybe left brain people starting down a spiritual path or starting to wake up and go like, uh, maybe I'm unemployable. (laughs) 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 Or like, yeah, I know (laughs) this way, this way to the treasures. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, what kind of advice would you give somebody starting, starting on their sacred adventure, starting down their, their path toward a truer self? Um, it's not going to make sense. And the more that you expect it to make sense, the the slower (laughs) and more frustrating (laughs) you will be pushing a boulder up a hill. And so just don't like, go into all the things that don't make sense without trying to subjugate them to your own sense of logic. It's actually, it's this quote that like, I always get weird about, about saying Bible verses ever now um, outside of like inside my own head. But um, there is this quote that I've modified from the Bible and the original is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And the way that I've modified that for myself is really just trust in your divinity with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge your divinity and it will direct your path. Mm. That's beautiful. I like that a lot. Yeah. I also like the like ownership of that. Like I like this, the idea behind this and I'm going to word it in a way that's meaningful to me. (laughs) Yeah. I do that with the Bible all the time because it's so ingrained into me. Like I said, like over 20 years of going to church, like pretty Mm -hmm. much on a weekly basis. So I have probably not the whole Bible, obviously, but a lot of it is in me and it'll surface itself at random times. And so if there's an icky word or something that I don't like, but I really think I need the medicine of the deeper message, I'll just swap out certain things and then go on about my day. (laughs) That's actually perfect. Cause I I also think, well, this, I feel like might get us down a rabbit hole. That's too long to go down. (laughs) I can like, I I can just not respond if if it's something that you feel like, like sharing. Um, Well, no, it like kind of comes back to like almost every religion has some like, well, no, every religion has pieces of truth in it. Mm -hmm. And um, when we start trying to like parse out those truths, I I feel like the, the way that they're most relevant is in how we feel about them and how we think about them. And so I don't find, I don't find problem uh, and actually I find it really liberating, uh, to hear other people talk about this too, uh, is that you, you, you can recognize that the system was oppressive, (laughs) that it doesn't as a whole system doesn't currently fit in, in your life or with what you believe to be like truth and fairness and all of that, but that, um, you, you're going to like, look at it and value it for the like beauty and the, the like capital T truth that it is showing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the capital T truth. That's it. Yeah, because I I find that um, again also in myself with um, yoga and like mm. some elements of like Hinduism and Hindu culture I find to be a bit oppressive. But also I'm looking at them uh-huh. through my white privileged lens. Um, mm-hmm. And I have to recognize that as well. <laughs> like it, beca- it becomes like, I, it becomes really, I think 
interesting and beautiful to be at a place where we can contemplate all of these things as well. And when we can start saying to ourselves, like, again, asking the bigger questions, like, who am I? <laughs> what is my message? What am I trying to say? And what is the like capital T truth that I'm going to like take forward from this? And then again, try and, uh, try and uh, reflect out into the world through my actions. Yes, 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 yes. I love that so much. I feel like you're so introspective and thoughtful and that's why I loved talking to you. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> well, we will actually, uh, for the listeners to know this, um, be hanging out again soon. I have um, <laughs> Samara and Lolly coming back on to talk about partnership and what that looks like for them in, in their business. So you have that to look forward to um, both their voices together, which I am personally really, 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 really also pumped about. I have a lot of reallys yeah. in my life. So <laughs> you're Can, just a very real person. Yeah. Keep it real. Maybe too real. <laughs> Um, can you share with people where they can find you and how they can work with you? Sure. So you can find me at K-A-S-A-I Thrive on Instagram. And I think, uh, Emily, are you um, planning to like everything? To like everything? To link. Sorry. Oh, link. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the links will be in the show notes. Uh, But I just, I wanted to give, yeah. (laughs) Perfect. So yes, Instagram. I always like, can you, if I spell this out, because <laughs> it's, it's a hard, um, it's not an intuitive spelling. So Instagram is Kasai Thrive. Website is kasaithrive.com. And then as far as working with me, I currently have one offer right now, which is my one-on-one business healing container. And it's a three-month container using shadow work and intuitive activation to help ease into the business that actually supports your life and the little tagline for this offer is relaxed launches soulmate clients and offers you're obsessed with so if you're interested in bringing more of that into your biz I have two spots available right now um and I'm sure more spots are going to open up soon amazing and then you can also find uh free I think you have a free offer on your website as well which is a, a breathwork and meditation Yes, I have a little breathwork and meditation bundle called Exhale Scarcity, Inhale Abundance. And it's an hour-long breathwork class about releasing scarcity from any area of your life. So not just centering money, but feeling into if you feel a scarcity of time or if you feel like you are not as supported as you would like to be by people or however you feel scarcity coming up for you. And of course, money applies. And then we've got a five-minute abundance meditation audio for you to follow that up with. Love it. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I look forward to talking to both you and Lolly in the near future. Yeah, we can't wait. All right. This was beautiful. (laughs) Thank you so much again for having me. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sacred Adventure Begin. If you feel inspired by the conversations you were part of today, please consider joining us on patreon.com backslash getting into it with Emily and supporting the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. Membership and support starts at $2 a month and gives you access to teachings, episodes before they are released, and a platform to submit your questions for our guests. 
Thank you so much for being here. Know that I am sending you so much love, so much awareness, and so much self-acceptance at whatever stage in your journey you find yourself on today.